My desk is a suitcase and this is a skirt. I think that's the start of the episode. Welcome to Lila's, where we talk about all things sourdough. And also all things. I'm Claire. And I'm Rachel. And we're the we're Sour, the sour sisters. sisters. Okay. Well, so how to- are you this week? Oh, gosh. I mean, how can we be? It's... Yeah just it's a time to be alive it but is a time <laughs> it is a time i have a warm fuzzy to get us started okay so i think just to answer the question what's new ruth bader ginsburg rbg is on our minds it's really hard for her not to be but in her honor i am drinking a white wine spritzer nice disclaimer cheers cheers disclaimer i don't know if you ended up going home and looking it up to see if a white wine spritzer is actually her drink of choice. But I did, and I, I'm not sure. There's not a lot of Google proof that this was her. Sure. So to, just to be clear, we ran into a person <laughs> who said that they knew a person who knew a person <laughs> who served her drinks at the opera and that yes. her drink of choice was a white wine spritzer. So, of course, <laughs> there's no verifiable way to know that. <laughs> But sometimes, sometimes it's what, that's more important what you choose to believe in your heart. Yes. And that's what I'm choosing to believe in my warm, fuzzy heart. Yeah. No, I fully believe it. I'm, I'm not saying we're wrong. I'm just yeah. saying, of course, it's not verifiable. <laughs> it makes me feel warm, fuzzy in the heart and also makes me warm and fuzzy because it's a white wine spritzer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes those random fun facts that you hear from strangers, you can like somewhat verify through like some crazy Reddit strand. No, that's fair. But I feel like now we are, we are the Reddit starters. Yes. If there's not a Reddit that comes from this, I'm going to be upset, I think. Yeah. We are just adding like fuel to the Wikipedia page fire. Like there's all this stuff on our Wikipedia page about being the first woman to do this, you know, up to and including, unfortunately, post- posthumously, like being the first woman to like lie in state at the the Capitol. And then there's going to be one line under like personal life or like recreation or something that'll just say. Recreation. Yes. We heard (laughs) that she also likes white wine spritzers. While not 100% verified. It was heard through the grapevine. That's Wikipedia. It doesn't need to be 100% verified. Everything else is 100% true, of course, that she was an amazing human. Yes. It's so much for women, but also unverifiable fact, white wine spritzer. (laughs) And, you know, we can still edit that thing, right? So we could just put it on there. Yeah, I don't really know how. Have you ever edited a Wikipedia? I feel like this is an important... No, I have not. I have Me not. Either. I've donated, but I have not. It's stressful. Like I, I don't want that sort of. I don't want that on me. You know. No, but I think that in this case, it might be, it might be the way I have to go to really get that extra warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. So this time next week, tune in because we're gonna find out whether or not Claire has edited the Wikipedia page. Yes. If you're not gonna tune in for anything else, definitely <laughs> tune in for that. So. I also didn't realize that white wine spritzers were so easy to make. Three so parts wine. It, yeah, go ahead. What, three what? parts wine, one part sparkling water or club soda. So I just used Topo Chico, of course. And it's then like such a cozy mom drink. 
it's officially my cozy. Like wine was a little too much, so I need to cut it and make it bubbly. It's adorable. Yes, agreed. And it seems like you can spin it into whatever white wine spritzer you like. Like I don't, you can use a Sauvignon or Pinot Grigio, right? Or is it literally just a white wine? I don't know. Well, both of the things you said were white wines, right? I know, so, but isn't there like a isn't there like a white wine like board? a like a house house wine? Yeah, uh, you have to use a house wine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the ingredients. I didn't know that a spritzer was only white wine and seltzer. So this is very interesting. Do you think you could use like a La Croix that was like pamplemousse? Like, could you use an interesting flavor? Is that going to make it taste weird? When you say Are a you la- using too many fra- flavors together. When you say a La Croix, do you mean a La Croix? <laughs> La Croix. <laughs> that is so fancy. Yeah, no, I thought about that because I think you still have that uh, grapefruit topo. So you should just... I do know my, my tummy has it. Oh, was it good? It was very good. Thank you very okay. much. It was oh. it was delightful. It was uh, just the like hint of pamplemousse. Not too much. Oh, very nice. Good. It wasn't that thoughtful of a gift because I hadn't tried it either. So it was more just like, can you, can you try this and tell me if it's good? Yeah, but it's not like you were like, here's some garbage. You should try it. it was I like, should have oh, put garbage that's with probably it. good. <laughs> I should have given you an empty bottle. Oh, yeah. Here's <laughs> something I tried. It was good. <laughs> Made me happy. Um, I just want to be clear, though, that when I looked up the recipe of a white wine spritzer, it also said that it is to be garnished with lemon or lime or a ci- oh. citrus peel of some kind. So did you do that? Uh, I had a strawberry. That's about as close. <laughs> Strawberry citrus. <laughs> the I didn't have any citrus fruit. <laughs> I didn't have any citrus peel. No, that's fair. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like that's just like oh, a cocktail garnished with citrus. That's all I know. I don't know anything else. So I, I just they're phoning it in is my point. Not you. Yes. You're not phoning it in. The cocktail people are. I should phone it in to the cocktail people. Excuse me. <laughs> is strawberry pre- citrus? <laughs> I prefer to write strongly worded letters. Oh, I like this. To to big fruit? Yes, to big fruit. Maybe it's just so you don't get scurvy. That's what they're worried about. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. I bet there's some moms out there that add, and just women of that age, who really like to do fun things with their spritzers. Like maybe they've decided it could be a way to get their wine in, but also be healthy. Like maybe they add electrolytes. I bet there is a whole Reddit strand on. Oh my like, God. Can you make a white wine spritzer with is there car well first of all is there carbonated Gatorade <laughs> oh, make a white wine spritzer with it? <laughs> well they have all those powders now so like I don't even know if Gatorade my is- powders yeah let me add all my vitamins to this white wine spritzer <laughs> yeah I mean this sounds like a good idea actually there's no way if it, it doesn't exist we need to get into the game because we would make so much cold hard cash absolutely I mean is that not what like all of those hard seltzers are they're like oh here be healthy ish hydrate well, and if there's vitamins in it we can say like oh you won't get a hangover mm. so pedialyte white wine spritzers oh jesus that's so <laughs> gross <laughs> pedia spritzers i saw a pedialyte commercial recently that was just straight up marketed to adult yeah but I, it's in the name they should just call it something else even if it's the same product like adult lights yeah yeah grown-up light that's really interesting because I feel like I still recommend Pedialyte as a source of electrolytes. Like no, even no, in my I'm work. here for it. Yeah, it's, it is good. I just think maybe it's time for a rebranding. Yes, yes, because I think they know what they're doing because I think it's all 
hungover adults who are buying Pedialyte. And like very tiny four-year-olds who just need to get pumped up. I really like the idea of these pumped up four-year-olds, like even more than they already are. Yeah, they're just like, they need just a little boost. And Is that what the commercial was? No, no, the commercial had no four-year-olds. It was just like 20-something oh, right. ladies being like, I need Pedialyte. I want to see that commercial. Well, I didn't know what it was for. And then when I saw it, I was like, but there were no children. There were no pedias in this commercial. (laughs) They were just lights. So what's all the rage in your life? Uh, You know, I am much less interesting than a white wine spritzer. (laughs) (laughs) I am, but it's a a quiet sort of hobby, much like being a mixologist. I'm getting all the way in like completely new obsession on indoor plants. Yes. So I've been building it up for quite some time over the summer. And now I have possibly too many. (laughs) I don't know that there is a too many. I think that a lot of people online would support you. I have a fern now and I did some, some pruning without really reading about whether or not that was proper recently. And I'm about to repot it because it's doing so well. Uh, But I need to work on its humidity situation and I have another plant. I don't know what kind it is. It didn't come with a tag, but it has these cool, weird hand leaves that like, hand leaves. they start as this little like ball. And then when they open up, it's not a flower. It's like a new set of leaves. Oh, very That's cool. Very cool. Uh, and then I also have uh, a very insane um, ficus ginseng, which I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know. Th- I thought those were two different plants. I, yeah, I don't know what that is. It has very weird roots. And from Googling, it seems like it's sort of in the bonsai tree family, okay. which is cool. So like the roots are really high up and then there's all these leaves coming out. So that's like a shill. We'll see where this goes, how big it gets plant. And then I have five succulents. I had six, one died, but the other ones are doing so well, they have to get replanted. I have basil from the grocery store that's now in a new pot. And I finally today got something called a pothos, which is like a weird vine thing to hang down from a plant hanger that we purchased over the weekend. I maybe have too much plants. (laughs) No, no, you do not. I think you have the perfect amount. I was getting more and more excited for you every single plant that you named. I have so many questions. First of all, what do you do? What do we do with all these plants that we buy that don't have labels? I say all of these. It just happened to me as well. I brought one home and I realized that it didn't have a label. I've been doing some sort of rough Googling on what is this plant? And then just sort of weirdly describing it, hoping that someone else had the similar description. Right. And then just sort of playing around with how much water or sun it needs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) A little trial and error. Good old trial and error. But I I feel like there was supposed to be, and maybe this was for insects, but I feel like Google was supposed to have one of those things where you could take a picture of something. Like a reverse Google search. Yes. Reverse Google search. Yeah, a a reverse Google images. Yes. And uh, I feel like it was an app that existed for five minutes and worked horribly. And now it doesn't, they just gave up. Bummer. I actually think they could do it with indoor plants because I feel like it's, it really is all the rage, like yeah, not just for you, plant but in the world. Yeah. Well, before I lived in Chicago, I had a big patio and some front stairs and I had so many outdoor plants like tomatoes and like flowers and the whole thing. And I gave up when I moved to the city. Yeah. But now I have a lot of indoor time. So I've, I've gotten back into it. I don't know if you've come past this article, but whenever I moved to the Cité, I read an 
very interesting article talking about how having indoor plants and just like being around greenery in general. So like you can't control what you're around. If you're close to a park, obviously that helps. But in terms of being in a dense city um, with not a ton of green space, having indoor plants can like improve your mood, especially in the winter. Yeah, I, yeah, that seems reasonable. This seems reasonable. It's like good I know for the air too, right? Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's like that's the main way you stay healthy in life. But like, you know, it's like a hand wavy. Like this is good for me and good for the plants. Yeah, I feel like it's good to have yeah plants around, not just like a concrete concrete jungle and that's all you have. Exactly, a concrete jungle outside and indoor jungle inside. Yes. <laughs> well, most importantly, now that I have so many plants that I'm not allowed to buy anymore, I have now a- averted my attention to. I need to find cool planters. Speaking of things <gasps> that will make my house more beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, I... So the one we got together is, is cute and it's artsy and it hangs on the wall and that's fine. But my real ambition, my dream are animals. Oh, planters that are animals? Yes. Oh, that is such a thing. We can get, we can make this happen. They exist. Some are ceramic, but some are just like a toy. Someone cut a hole in and it's, it's my dream. I just need a menagerie of tiny little critters that also have plants inside of them. (laughs) Right. Like, okay. So that's definitely a thing. You're right. Some are ceramic. Some are like literal, like little kind of like rubbery plastic. Yeah. Like a toy, like a dinosaur that just takes the back out of and put a plant in. It's insane. And I I love it. Yes. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Um, Also, are you interested in like crocheted covers for regular planters that are in the shape of an animal like does that do it for you oh like the animals wearing a sweater or the crochets in the shape of the pot the pot would be wearing an animal sweater like a sweater that well wouldn't i guess it would be like a a costume it would be like the the plant that is in a pot is in a crocheted halloween costume so like yes it is a bear but only because yes yes (laughs) I want my entire family, from people to dog to plants, to all be wearing the same sweater. This is a new goal. I'm saying so, it out loud. Plants. To it into the universe to make it happen. Oh, Every wow. cre- living creature in my house will wear the same sweater one day. <laughs> I love that for you. I think that is just <laughs> a wonderful goal that I'm going to help you achieve. It's, it, I, it's all I can think about now. We can't do the rest of the episode. It's just like I'm, I've been taken over. So does this mean that like if I come over post-COVID, I can like, will there be extra sweaters so that when I enter the house? Yeah, everyone- so every living creature that enters my domicile, like you come in and it's like some people are like, can you take your shoes off or can you do this or can you do that? I'll just be like, can you put on this sweater? I, yes, I totally see this. I see it as an attainable goal. Yeah, I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> I, putting it down on this this uh towards the end of september day it will happen one when day <laughs> september ends <laughs> a march first is too soon of a goal but <laughs> next september yeah yeah they're gonna okay. be actually green day sweaters not uh... <laughs> yes yes they have to be green day sweaters cozy or- goth it's cozy goth cozy goth Green, or it could be like an animal. Like it's still a sweater that is an animal, but maybe that animal is wearing a Green Day sweater. 
So you're talking about like sweater inception, like yeah. a sweater on a sweater. Yes, I <laughs> and am. That sweater's also wearing a sweater. A sweaterception. I'm I'm here for that too. Good. Don't go anywhere. I'm I'm always here. <laughs> okay, I have another question for you. Okay, pruning. Am I supposed to be pruning? Mm, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Because I definitely have killed a fern before and bought the same fern again after reading that it should be like planted with rocks or something mm-hmm. and like don't water it so much. Don't have like sitting, standing water, mm-hmm. sending, sitting, standing, squatting water, whatever. Squatting water. That's squatting the problem, water. Claire. You, you can't do that to your plants. <laughs> water squatting. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. Maybe I was supposed to prune it. Well, I don't know. I just like uh, the ends were getting kind of yucky and I just decided I didn't want them there anymore. That seems like this is this. I don't know. I Now that I'm saying it loud, it also sounds like when somebody is like, you know, what's going to fix my life. I'm really stressed out. I'm going to give myself bangs. Like, no, that's never the answer. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> I would argue that sometimes it is the answer. Short Every term. Time I've tried it. It was not <laughs> But like in that moment, it probably felt so good. And the yeah, next I'm moment, I'm in charge of my life, man. And then it's like, oh, oh, I'm not a professional. <laughs> my other, my other and final question. Mm-hmm. I also got a wall planter, and now I'm concerned about watering it, and then it just waters the floor. There's not a hole in it. Okay, okay. it's like the kind that you should put like a either something that's cool with hanging out with water or like a sleeve that like a little sleeve in between that. So the sleeve has a hole oh. and so then extra water hangs out in the pot, but not in the plant. Uh, these are things I'm just not learning. Okay. 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 That's good. No, that's why I ask. Well, because I'm, I'm a, I was an outdoor plant lady and you just put a hole in any pot you have and then the excess water just goes on the ground and who cares. But now inside that's less good. <laughs> that is less good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Let's move on to our recipes. Okay. I'm going to talk about my loaves. Like, I'm just going to give you an update on some of the loaves that I've made throughout the weeks. Slash weeks. Oh. Well, no, you're right. It's really not weeks. I just, it's since we started. Well, how many loaves have you made so far? So I was, I was keeping track and I was taking notes, taking notes, taking names, but then I kind of lost track. So I'm going to tell you about the ones that were the most interesting that I had with this. Um, I've probably made though, if I had to guess like seven loaves. That's a lot. That's exciting. Yeah. But like they were definitely, a lot of them were experimental. Like well, that's the point. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. out here having fun. I went, I went hard in the first few weeks trying to understand how to have, how to like learn from the process during the process, as opposed to being like, Oh, that didn't taste good. Let me try again. Cause I just have a hard time knowing. And I think there's a way to know when, like when your dough is trying to tell you something. So like, okay, I'm ready to go in the oven now because I have this type of texture and like, this is complicated. I mean, I don't know. I've read a lot of things about like, you're kind of supposed to feel it and like smell it and see it and be like, Oh, this is what stage I'm at. Well, I don't have that innate bread making ability. 
spread communication. Well, I don't think it's innate. Like, I don't think someone's born and like, I do. I, know, do. I know how to bake. This I know is, how to make this loaf. This loaf and I are communicating from the cradle. I think like it's like, you get, like, it's practice, right? Everything's practice. Yeah, but nature and nurture. There's definitely people who you have think an that there's a little bread baby somewhere? Yeah. Oh, I want to meet that baby. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that there's a personality type that is more like, has more of an eye for it because they're probably looking. Whereas I'm like, oh, making another loaf, looking at the recipe. Like set a timer or something. Do you think, or does that not work? No, I, yeah, I also just don't hang out at home all day when I make the loaf. Like I just decide I'm going to start making it. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I have this window of time that it needs to rise or it needs to do whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'll be back around that time. So it's like never the same. Mm, I see. But I think that's the beauty of the sourdough experience. Yeah. But in the, in the beauty, there has been pain <laughs> and suffering. Suffering? For the people who are eating my loaves. In my opinion, the only way you learn is to make mistakes. So it's more fun for me to make seven loaves and only two be good. So that's what I did. No, oh, that sounds awesome. And I'm also going to tell you, but you have to guess first, how many different Tupperwares I have in my fridge that contain some sort of sourdough. Like starter, you mean? Well... Some are starters and some are discard. But like, it's not like you have a Tupperware of bread in your fridge. No, but I should. I should have a Tupperware of bread. <laughs> Just on all hand. stages. Yeah. Uh, do you have five? I could do a museum. I could do one of those museums where like it shows the sourdough in every stage. I, I would go to your bread museum. Yeah. Do I get to eat bread at the end? Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be like a little bit of a museum, a little bit of a distillery where you get some like free samples at the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. So you guessed five. Mm-hmm. I definitely had five at one point. So I think I have four now, but I have two like true starters. One is my OG that you gave me that I've been trying to make sure I keep. Um, but along the way, every so often... And more towards like the beginning of this experience, I would accidentally put too much or all of the OG starter into my recipe. <laughs> so like I would get, use all. Like when you well, I would get distracted. <laughs> I would get distracted and be like, oh, okay, so I only have a cup of starter, and this recipe calls for a cup of starter. Mm-hmm. So I'll just use this cup of starter. But then like after putting in not too many of the other ingredients, I would be like, oh no, now I'm not going to have any starter to then keep growing yes. and have on hand. So there was a point early on where I had to save some of my OG starter from like the beginning of a new loaf. Mm, yes. I remember. Yes. 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 You so remember you the like SOS it? text? How did you save it? Like, so. Okay. So I completed step one, which is using a little bit of your starter, a little bit of your starter, don't use it all, um, and adding a cup of flour, I think it was flour, um, and maybe some water. That's usually step one, is just to add a little bit more. Um, But I, so I did that, and I was mixing it, and then I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't have any starter to put back in the fridge and keep alive and keep going. So I just decided to take a half cup off and revive it. So I put it in a new container and I I just let it hang out in the fridge for a night. And then the next day I fed it and like left it out on the counter for a little bit to kind of let it become a little bit more active. And then once it proved to me that it was going to rise. So every time you feed it generally, especially if it's on the counter, it should rise a little bit um, to kind of reassure people like me that it's still alive. So I did that a few times over the course of like a week or two and then I made a loaf from it and it was 
a yummy loaf. So I decided it was fine. Yeah. It's alive. Yeah. Yeah. But once I confirmed that I had like revived my, my OG starter, which I guess it's not really, it's like second generation now. Um, <laughs> I, I decided to give myself an insurance policy and I made a whole new Tupperware of starter. So I just like, like from like from new flour and new water, like you started completely fresh. No, 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 no. Third generation took a little bit <laughs> of second generation and fed that one a few times to make sure it was not just discard. Fun. That's cool though. So you're yeah. like starting the process over like, and then like how, how you can like transfer it from people to people or like from like generation to generation. Like that's really cool that you can do that. Exactly. So it made me more comfortable with the process, but then yes, I feel like now I could kind of explain how it's going to be for the next person who gets like fourth generation or whatever. Yeah. But you haven't told me about any bread you've made except for No, no, I know. Because this is really like all the, all the juicy stuff is in how many Tupperwares I ended up with. No, I'm obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what, how do you have so many, like, so why do you have extra discards? So you should just have a big slot pile, right? Yeah. As I was experimenting, I, I had two different discard piles. So I would have a discard from second generation starter and a discard from third generation starter because I was spending some time deciding which starter was better. So which one produced better loaves. And so then I wanted to have the discard separate so that when I made recipes from the discard, I could compare those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, but now you have options. Yeah. (laughs) It turns out throwing it Throwing discard away is not a bad idea. I just like can't do it. I still have not gotten there. Yeah, but, but I mean, you can also like just have a bigger container, right? Yes. Yeah. If I can, if I could get like a, a container the size of my fridge, that would be ideal for sure. So you so, want a second refrigerator? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. I think you should bake at some point just to get it down a little. <laughs> no, I did. I did. That's why I don't have five anymore. I'm back to four. So okay. My, yeah. Second, my second gen starter, my third gen starter, and then second gen discard and third gen discard. Okay. So essentially that was the second loaf I made where I like accidentally used all of my first gen starter Mm -hmm. and it was fine. It, It just tasted like regular bread. It rose appropriately. It had nice bubbles. It looked really great and photogenic. It just was not that sour. And so I think do you think that's the starter's problem though, or like how you were rising it? Well, I think that was mostly because after step one, I had to save some starter to revive it. So I think I messed up the ratios like fairly early on, but I just wanted to power through. But isn't the sour sour that's like from uh, like the cold rise usually, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that is true, like scientifically. So- these are but in practice. data points though. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing all these experiments, girl. I'm not a, a, I'm not at baseline a good loaf maker, but I am having fun. So then my third loaf, which was from the second gen. So this was me trying to figure out if like the second gen starter could make a good loaf. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in my notes, I wrote this and I still feel like this is true. It feels like the recipes always call for too much flour. Like, I feel like I am just overloaded with flour every single time I make a loaf. I always like pour off a little bit of flour after I knead it in, after I kind of like mix everything really well and it still feels like there's extra flour because I just haven't had good experience with like that much flour. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe my measuring cups are that, that bad. (laughs) Count the scenario, you blame the recipe and the measuring cup. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I do. I I blame both. I blame both. 
I, yeah, I'm not passing judgment. I, I don't know what's going on in your house. I'm just saying. <laughs> but that being said, the, that loaf was delicious. It was one of my awesome. best. Yeah. So after saving it from catastrophe. From I certain because, death, you pulled it from the jaws of death where yeah. you were just feeding it. So. I think it's like a diamonds in the rough sort of situation. It just need a little TLC. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. My fourth loaf is the only other other one that I have notes on mm-hmm. and it was just beautiful after the first fridge rise and then in the afternoon when you leave it out for most of the day I did too much kneading so I followed the directions this time that suggested you don't have to do this but it suggested that you do a little bit of kneading every hour as it's in its last phase of rising and I did it way too much and then i made the biggest pre-loaf rise a person has ever seen do you remember this i sent you a picture it was literally bigger than the pan that it was supposed to be rising on that's very fun it was like i guess what would that be like a foot by a foot and a half like it was literally so puffy did it keep its shape though i mean it was just it was the shape of the baking pan mm-hmm but so. I mean, like in the oven, like did it keep its shape? So I made a huge mistake. I think I should have just—I should have just put it in the oven and tested that theory right there. But I got way too nervous that it was just gonna like become a giant house in the oven. So I deflated it gently, and it just—it wasn't as fun that way. It was a fine loaf, but I really should have just made like a giant loaf. What did the recipe say to do? Well, the recipe doesn't say that if it becomes as big as your house that you should do anything. But I mean, it must have said, like, what should you do before, like, when you put it in the oven? Well, you're supposed to shape it. Mm -hmm. But I think that I had overproofed it at that point. It happens. But I finally, in all of this, came up with a name for my starter. Oh, tell me. Drum roll. Drum roll. (laughs) Flow. So a progressive lady? Like the, mm, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Actually, actually, yes. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking Florence Nightingale, but I think oh. it's also flow from the progressive commercial. No. One, yes, yes, yes. Because one, I was going to say her motto is go, she goes with the flow, but she always washes her hands. Cause oh, I, I like hate, this. I hate sticky hands. I don't know if you know this, but I really hate sticky hands. So I wash my hands way too much during cooking it's not about germs i just really don't like the yeah but who's not doing that that's yucky like because then you're going to cross contaminate (laughs) because then the handles are going to get sticky and like your drawer pulls and i know i've seen it it seems nuts but it's a thing but anyway so it's that and then also that she just goes with the flow and then the reason why she's flow with progressive because i literally just created an insurance policy for myself with my third gen starter Oh, I see. That's excellent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you so, write that policy up. <laughs> yeah, write, write me a policy. But I literally, <laughs> yes, for a million reasons, I have finally decided to name my sourdough Flow. I'm 100% on board. That's amazing. You're pro Flow, would you say? I'm pro Flow. But I do have one more question, though. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from this experience? Because you had all of these lows that you were changing many variables every time. So what did, <laughs> what did you learn? Like, like what are you going to do in the uh, future that's different? The chemistry professor, of course, would ask me to write a paper 
I'm not asking for a paper. I'm just curious for myself. Like you've done all this research. So like, what, what did you, what are you going to do going forward? Like how has this influenced your experience? Okay. So I found that if you think it's too much flour, you should really just stick with it and really like mix it in just as much as you can. And then also follow the directions. Like just let it rise for however long it's supposed to rise. Maybe you don't need it too much. So wait, 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 just to be clear, <laughs> what you're saying is <laughs> you made so many loaves, you have no idea how many at this point. And what you learned is you should just read the directions. Yes. <laughs> I support that. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's fair. <laughs> I really think that there's more to learn. Sure. And everyone's I, still learning. That's yes. fine. Yes. And I think also just trust yourself. I got better as I just kind of like didn't futz with it as much, to be quite honest. I kept thinking like, oh, I'll read into the fine print of these recipes and like maybe go a little bit above and beyond, but that didn't really do me any good either. So yes, follow the recipe, but also just kind of like don't care as much. Well, I would say those go hand in hand actually, because I think it's a really good point. I feel like people get intimidated by baking because they want to like feel like they're doing it perfectly so they overdo it but like if you just do exactly what it says like you should be okay if it's a good recipe yeah I mean I underdid it I overdid it and now I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm you pretty calibrated happy. yeah yeah but I had fun That's and now, part. now I have a, a progressive insurance policy <laughs> yeah I, I like a, a yeah starter starter insurance tell me tell me tell me what do you have this week sure yeah, so I went a little off script. So I did not, I'm not going to talk about sourdough specifically tonight, but I'm going to talk about a different thing you can make in your kitchen that relies on naturally occurring yeast to grow and ferment. Ooh. So it's, it's related, but it's not sourdough. It's not bread. So I made uh, tapache. Yes. Um, and this has been a work in progress for, for most of the summer. Uh, and tapache, if you've never heard it or heard of it or had it, is a fermented pineapple drink. It's kind of like kombucha, but it's not tea. It's just like based on juice, but same idea. It's just like naturally fermented. Um, so the uh, natural yeast that's on the rind of the pineapple, it sounds really gross, but that is what causes the fermentation. So you put it with some sugar and the yeast eats the sugar and makes CO2 and, and a very small amount of alcohol, depending on how long you ferment it. It's usually like 2%, but it can be more or less depending, but so pumped it's very fun uh to like watch something just like with sourdough starter you just like sit something on your counter and like watch it grow so and like watch it bubble and get like real weird uh so i made two i made one with ginger and pineapple mixed in with the pineapple or sorry ginger and jalapeno and then one with cinnamon and like other spices like cloves and stuff like that that sounds so good. Both of them. A savory and a sweet, if you will. I guess not super savory, but, you know, just a little bit yeah. of spice. Uh, and so what I did is I just uh, chopped up the pineapple with the rind on and mixed it with some brown sugar and water and the other stuff I talked about. And then I just put it in like a, like a jar that has like one of those springy lids um, for two to three days on the counter. Uh, and then you'll start to see it get bubbly and like sort of foamy on top. And like when you shake it, you'll see bubbles and stuff. And then I filtered the solids, like I didn't have a funnel, so I just used like a pour over coffee thing with a coffee filter. <laughs> that seems fair. And so I filtered it um, into a new container. And then uh, once all that stuff out is out, you put it in the fridge. Uh, 
um, for two to three days as well. Uh, and then it should be good to go. Uh, and you can store it in the fridge for, you're supposed to like up to a week or so. Um, and we'll get to more on like what can happen if you don't do that right. Uh, but um, basically you just want to make sure that the yeast is, that gets, it's, it goes through the filter. It's still gonna eat the sugar and, and make your like yummy uh, tapache, but if it goes too far, if it runs out of sugar to eat, it's going to start making like vinegar. And so it'll, it'll taste pretty bad if you just were to like leave it out forever. Um, but did you try that? Uh, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I would not want to, but I mean, if you wanted pineapple vinegar, you could do that on purpose. Oh, interesting. Um, could you cook with that? That would be interesting. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, I, I was, somebody was telling me sometime recently about how to make vinegar at home and it sounded pretty fun. Uh, but the first time I made this, I realized halfway through making it. And when I say half through, I mean, when I put it in the fridge <laughs> that I added way too much sugar because I was trying to put together like three or four different recipes on the internet because I didn't really like any of them. So it was just really like freestyling it, like oh, a little this, a little of that. Uh, but what I had to come up with is that I, I'd only used half a pineapple instead of like a whole one. So I used the amount of sugar, like twice as much sugar, basically. Oh. Um, and my pineapple was very ripe. So there's a lot of sugar in the pineapple already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I figured out that I'd made this mistake because <laughs> when I tasted it to be like, oh, is this good? I want to know if this is good. It was so disgustingly sweet. <laughs> it was so sweet. And it was like, this goopy, like ropey, disgusting consistency. That sounds like honey. So gross, but it was like thicker than honey. It was like molasses. Oh. Um, and like, like it just turns your stomach how soon it was. It was so bad. And I was like, oh gosh, like this is messed up. But I just left it in the fridge. Um, and then I remade it with the right amount of sugar to totally start over. And it was so good. It was so delicious. It was so refreshing, just like a little bit of bubbles. And you could like see the CO2 when you opened it. It made like the sound like you're opening like a seltzer. Uh, it was so cool to watch it like carbonate itself. Um, it was, it was tasted a lot like kombucha. Like I call it like sort of like a pumpkin spice kombucha. Like it just was sort of oh. spicy. And, like, it was very good. Yum. Uh, and I was reading that you can mix it with a can of beer, like, or like half and half to kind of cut the sweetness even further yes. to make like sort of like a summer little drink, like with like a Mexican style type beer. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I let you try some when we went camping. It was delicious. I loved sort of weird, it. But it's interesting. Well, for, to your point, like, well, I didn't get to try the one that was like thick, like molasses, but <laughs> you didn't get to, I, was I didn't get you. to, I, <laughs> come on. You heard all the like crazy things I made. I, I think it's fun to try like when it goes bad because then you can really appreciate when it goes right but no that's true um i felt like it wasn't too sweet at all and i really don't like things that are too sweet um what did you mix it with is that when you mix it with do we mix it with beer yeah yeah okay okay yeah i really love like that mexican beer yeah because it was very light and refreshing but there was definitely something unique about it i really loved it and yeah, now my, my biggest question is like so i've tried it and i i remember you telling me you were gonna make it of course, I was like, ooh, that seems over my head, but so cool. But now that you're describing it, I feel like maybe you can make a white wine spritzer because it's kind of like a sparkly thing. You're saying white wine and tapache? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would work. <laughs> I think that would work. I think that, that would work pretty good. Yeah, with a really dry white. Yes. It's all tying together. We got to try it. <laughs> 
we don't do this on purpose, guys. This is just our our <laughs> sisterhood, our connection. Everything's carbonated, man. This is our lacrosse connection. Ooh, a new segment. <laughs> Join us every week for lacrosse connection, <laughs> where we don't speak French. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe we should start learning French just for that segment. Oh, I like that. We'll just learn French together on on, on air, so people just on listen air. to us learning French. Anglais du fromage. Okay, okay. Seems like you're way ahead. No, no, no. Did you ever watch Dexter's Lab growing up? Oh, sure, sure, sure. No, I didn't because I didn't have cable, but I understand the reference. I I know. Add it to my blind spot. Wait, but do you, do you are you familiar with with yes, what happens? For sure. Okay, it's important. But and anyway, uh, so just to to swerve back, everything was going well. I put my, my bad first batch, I just left in the fridge because here's what I was thinking. I wasn't being lazy, I mean, sort of, but what I was really thinking was like, this is an experiment. There's too much sugar, so the yeast should just keep eating it, and eventually it will taste good. Like, I'll just let the yeast get rid of the sugar for me. Yeah. Uh, so I just would occasionally check and taste. It was still making tons of bubbles. Obviously, the yeast was still working, so like, this is good. It was still too sweet, but it started to sort of mellow out a little bit. I was like, oh, this is going well. At some point, totally off my radar. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot it existed. <laughs> well, you're letting, the, you're letting the yeast do its work. It's yeah, like just spiders in the work. corner. It's like first so, you start to bite them, and then you're like, you know what? They eat the bugs. It's fine. And then, the, you know, next thing you know, like, Charlotte has written, like, yes. something, like, in the web, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. So this yeah. is, what, like, in the back of my head. Of course, this is what's going to happen. Like two months, totally forgot that it existed. Then one day, I am taking a shower. I am in said shower. Suddenly, I hear an explosion. And I think, because like uh, a week before this happened, a car had hit a light pole in my alley, because why not? (laughs) (laughs) And it sounded exactly the same. It sounded like a large object had hit another large object and blown up like it was so loud I screamed I was like you have to come in the bathroom right now and you have to tell me what's going on like I am scared (laughs) and I'm in the shower it's like the most vulnerable you can be right and like there's an absolutely oh that's like worst worst thing uh and then here's what turns out happened like looking around the apartment looking outside like what could have happened like we must have like been attacked by something open the fridge fridge is destroyed (laughs) Okay, wait, so you didn't even know, like, for a good amount of time? It did not even... sound like it was in the refrigerator. It sounded like it was outside the house. It was so loud. It was like, how could anything in the house have made that sound? So you were thinking, like, okay, you're racking your brain. You're thinking about all these things that this noise could be, and then you got to the fridge? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Because I still forgot the tapache existed. Open the fridge. The p- tapache no longer exists. It has why now you... left this mortal world. Most important question, why did you even open the fridge? I did not. My partner opened the fridge while yeah, I was still in the shower. And then he was like, I know what happened. I was like, what? Uh, and he goes, the tapache. And I was like, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> so uh, fridge destroyed. Like there, there are like, not like, oh, there's some glass in here. Cause it was like in a glass bottle. There are just tiny shards of glass everywhere. We had to throw out everything in the fridge because it had like, we also had a thing of milk. We never have milk. Only had it for baking. It was like a full like half gallon that had been like, like just destroyed. Like just the shrapnel of the thing had like pierced the oh. uh, milk thing. It just milk everywhere. Like oh, no. little tiny glass. Everywhere. There's like um, 
the fridge itself is like etched now from where glass like blew up. It's like we set a grenade off in our fridge. Are you serious? I am I didn't... serious. Okay, it so messed up. <laughs> we were playing like virtual trivia this night. I didn't realize that fake. Like that's. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that bad. It was just so bad. And so not, not only was it like a glass, like menagerie, like there's just glass everywhere. We had to throw everything out because we were like, don't want to eat glass. So we weren't sure. We said to throw stuff out. Eat glass. There was also like, yeah, uh, the tapache is still sticky and gross. So it's everywhere in the fridge. Like from, it's dripping from the ceiling now. It's on every single surface. So I had to take everything out of the fridge, throw away almost everything, wash off everything else, and then just clean the fridge entirely top to bottom. <laughs> So too much pressure had built up in the bottle um, because it had just been like carbonated, carbonated, carbonated. Yeast is going, yeast is going, eating the sugar. And then finally it just had had enough and it, it blew up. That is so bad. It was but also so amazing. Like, I'm so sorry you had to clean that up. But in terms of like a life experience, an experiment, that is so interesting. It was wild. But in upside, now my fridge is like the cleanest it has ever, ever, I was ever been. I think it's actually, cleaner than when we moved in. It's like uh, perfect. I was just going to say there is no better motivation to clean your fridge than something like that because well, I like, we can't do, do not anything. ever want to clean the fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But having milk in the fridge is so funny because like you said, you don't really ever have it. But having milk spill, spilled milk, gross. if you will, it's so gross. Like you really have to make sure you get it all up. Well, here's, here's one other kicker is saw that it was happening, put it in a trash bag, but the glass was still in the uh, carton and it cut the trash bag. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah, we had I mean, to like double bag. It was all it was a silly, silly mess. Oh, a so, silly mess, but, but totally the, worth it. Totally worth it. And the other tapache was very good. Just don't leave it in your fridge too long. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, so you, obviously you prevent it by not by like you said not leaving it in the fridge too long but or like, just like vented it vented every okay. once in a while okay like yeah. it really shouldn't be in there like more than two or three days without some venting just to be sure right yes <laughs> oh no oh my gosh that is a really hilarious but i'm so sorry sort of like situation like oh this will be funny in a year but not funny right now oh, it's funny now yeah it, like that night was not funny so i was right. so yeah. tired yeah. i was like this is like not or in a month night, yeah. i'm cleaning a fridge this is stupid. But You're like, missing trivia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say a month because I felt like maybe that was too soon. But, you know. Like uh, 12 okay. hours. It's fine. <laughs> okay, good. So, vent it? Vent it. Yeah, it's worth it. It's a fun experiment to try. Just don't forget about it. <laughs> All right. This week on Sourdough Connections, <laughs> do you need a scale in terms of sourdough? Not, or like baking. A baking scale. Not a should you weigh yourself scale because no, no, no. that's a way different question. This is a new segment we're introducing. It's called Sourdough Connections and it's just about like questions that we have that we're not trying to like solve the world's problems, but we just want to like think a little bit more about how sourdough is connected, what we can learn from it and how it connects with us and the community and stuff like that. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think? Well, I, I kind of have two columns. Pro scale, anti scale. Okay. And it seems like if you're making a large batch kind of thing, a scale almost seems more obvious. Like if you're, let's say, measuring 16 cups of flour, it's kind of easier to do that on a scale than it is to do with like one cup at a time for 16 cups. Also, less error. 
because like error. a little error every time you do one cup that adds up. Exactly. Exactly. So I found something that said that using like that whole little set measuring cup set, if you use them properly, they usually vary by at least 10% and sometimes as much as 25% between like different brands or, or sets of those little measuring cups. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, if that's what their baseline variation is, as you get to larger and larger batches, you're just going to see more margin well, of error. And also I meant like error of, of you, like if not you particularly, but everybody, like if you have a little bit that's too much time. one time, that's mm-hmm. not a big deal. But if you add a little bit too much every time, then suddenly you've added like a whole a lot of extra human error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It seems to me like a scale would be good. And that's not to say that you don't need to scale on, on a smaller scale, but it seemed more obvious to be pro scale when you're making large batches or doing it a lot every day. So, so something more professional, mm-hmm. but just thinking to myself, like, why am I anti-scale? Like, why don't I own a scale? I think it's just another thing to buy for your kitchen. You know, what if you don't buy the right one? Like, I don't know. It seems like just another thing that you have to kind of use and get used to. Cause I, I think it's more natural to have a set of measuring cups than it is to have a kitchen scale. Well, it's usually more compact too. I mean, I guess like scales can be small, but like little measuring cups like fit in a little drawer and like, yeah, I don't it's know. like a I staple. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I honestly could not agree more. Uh, cause I like was thinking about it. I was like, well, yeah, obviously like you, a scale would be more accurate. Like, of course it is. Uh, but I was thinking about it and like, I, I had already kind of previously kind of put it together slash learned that like, you know, if you sift flour versus you don't sift flour, you're adding air and different mm-hmm. types of flour, different densities. So like just saying a cup of flour, like that doesn't mean enough. Like, is it sifted? Is it whole wheat? Like what? that's going to change it already. And then your point about the measuring cups. Um, but then outside of flour, I didn't even think about like things like one cup of firmly packed brown sugar. Like mm-hmm. what, how do you know if it's firmly packed enough or not? And, or like how, like chopping things, like how many chopped nuts is one cup? How finely are you supposed to chop them to fit in the cup versus like, yep. or like veggies the same way. So like from that perspective, like, yeah, of course you should have one. Uh, and then I actually, I was also reading about how like it actually can make things faster, which makes sense. I just didn't think about it because you can just put a bowl on the scale and weigh everything into it all at once mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. like measuring. But then much like you're saying, I was thinking like, why, why do I feel so anti-scale? Because <laughs> I do, I do feel that way. Um, yeah. And then I realized like most of the time my stuff turns out mostly fine. So I just feel like I did a new one because it's like, it seems pretentious or like too fancy. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like a space constraint, like you said, and like one more thing to buy. I think I'm just resisting like being told I need something fancy to be a baker. When people yes. need it forever, like literally yes. forever. And there's like this cost, like both monetarily, but also like the intimidation factor uh, of like a point of entry for baking for everybody other than just like you need the ingredients. It's like, oh, you also need the scale and you know how to, you better know how to use it. You are speaking my language. I, I really found like way more pro scale in my search, my internet deep dive, but mostly it was just like, like you said, wh- why do I feel like, why don't I have one? If yeah. I, it just doesn't feel natural, but I, I kind of summed up some of this in one of my bullet points, which is keep it fun 
and simple. Yeah. Like, yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. Like, it's just, like you said, people have been doing this for years. And I actually found a really interesting, it was like a blog post, but basically to that tune of baking has been going on for years and years and years and years. And so don't feel like you need a scale to make good things. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're careful and you actually do exactly what the recipe says and you follow exactly what it says, like if it says sift, sift, if it doesn't, don't like, then it should be pretty much okay. Which is funny. Cause I feel like ironically I'm against a scale, but when you say it like that, I'm like, Ooh, maybe I want to scale. Like then I don't have to, then I, I could actually make consistent <laughs> loaves each time. But again, but to your point earlier, like, I think if you just like follow the directions exactly like you if it's a good recipe it should be achievable without a scale I feel like that's my main point like if I if I were to really like boil down like why do I feel this way I think it's more just like why why like it just seems like bleh yes not to be anti-scale because actually (laughs) the more I thought about it I was like well it is just good science to compare like why shouldn't I just do that that's like, really funny. That it's like a lot that. to unpack, but yeah. but maybe maybe it is worth a try. I mean, just try it out and see if it like changes my life or not. But I think it is. It's, it's interesting though that we came to the same conclusions, right? But we don't like it. Like I feel like it's like a bigger thing about like the world right now. <laughs> I mean, 100%. I I feel like I don't need it, so like I don't really care about your evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's more of a personal preference. I would love to kind of see. One, does it make my loaf better? Two, does it just make me enjoy the process more? Or does it not? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point about enjoying the process more. Because, like, I'm mostly in it to, like, enjoy the process. Right. so if it's just, like, oh, gosh, I have to use this scale and it, like, sucks. Or, like, oh, gosh, I have to use 17 cups of flour and that sucks, too. Like, I just feel like, then where's the joy? Right. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is supposed to be therapeutic. And so does it, does it hurt or does it help? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we might try scales and we'll let you know. <laughs> we're going to, yes, we will let you know how scaly we get. Ooh. <laughs> well, should we move on to some food for thought? Give me your food for thought. Feed it to me. Well, so our food for thought, this is just where we sort of both talk about something that like moves or inspired us in the last week or so sort of a loose interpretation of that this week for me but (laughs) what I have is that I've been watching The Vow on HBO have you (gasps) you seen it this is the Nexium yeah Colts oh gosh have you watched it at all no no it's been on my list Colts really creeped me out like really bad like same I think it's because I think like I'm so like scared of like I don't want to I don't want to end up in one. So I just feel like I, I like don't trust anybody ever. Like, cause I'm just like, I want to be in that cult. Like, <laughs> I mean, it just seems like a slippery slope. Because it is a slippery like slope. There are people that just are like suddenly in a cult and it's very scary. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's been stressing me out. And then the whole point of this one is like about being like a, a happier, more joyful, ethical person. Like that's how they get people in. I'm like, that's such a nice, lofty goal. Like, that's extra that? manipulative, right? Because it's a good, like, positive sort of hook. It's not based on negativity. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I mean, it turns out it was like sort of like a one of these pyramid schemes before they were like super trendy. Like, uh, 
essential oil or something. I think we should have a whole entire week on how trendy pyramid schemes are. Well, yes. (laughs) But there was, like, you had to, like, pay for classes, uh, and then you had to, like, keep recruiting other people in order to advance on the track or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But still, like, people were like, oh, I'm so happy. Like, I have so much joy. Um, But then it turned out it was just, like, all a bunch of, like, manipulative nonsense and like actually like a bunch of sex trafficking too so bad it's bad and it just made me so sad about like how badly people want to be happy and like how other people are just really willing to exploit that like it's so sad I'm only two episodes in but I'm like already like stressed to the max (laughs) but uh also I don't know it's really good though I, I recommend it um especially if you have any interest or like not interest like you know sort of like a dark interest in like cult but oh that's so interesting yeah, I highly recommend it. But yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, mine is honestly a carryover. I wanted to make sure that this one got picked, so to speak. So I just picked it. It's so interesting. So this is a, I just want everyone to go read about it, listen to it. Of course, it's NPR, my favorite. It is about a transgender Nana who served in World War II, who broke a Guinness World Record. So she's 99 years old. Her name is Robina Asti, and she's the world's oldest currently active pilot and world's oldest currently active flight instructor. That's legit. I know. I know. Honestly. Do you take flying lessons? It sounds fun. Yes. Yes. I have taken I was going to say, you you have. Yeah. Yes, I have. And I, I can't believe that I didn't continue on. I was just like a like a baseline upset 15-year-old. Well, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, it happens to the best of our 15-year-old selves. So like, bummer. But this is really, really cool. So she was born in 1921. I'm only going to tell you three things so that this is a food for thought, a little piece of, a little snack. So everyone can go listen to it and look into it for themselves. But the first thing is that she broke a Guinness World Record, two of them. Second thing is she was born in 1921. She served in the Navy in World War II as a man. After the war, she started a family, ran a mutual fund, became a commercial pilot. She began her gender transition in the 1970s, and in 2014, she won a legal battle with a Social Security admin, helping secure survivors benefits for transgender spouses. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. This is currently moving me for a second time. That's amazing. What a life. I know. It's not over yet. And like, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, this is another just like super strong female source of power. Yeah. Yeah. The third thing I have to say is a quote from her, from Robina. So every time I take off, throttle pull in, power full on, I'm listening to that engine because it's whispering to me sweet little lullabies. Oh my gosh. I know. Does it not like send chills up your spine? I just want to like love what I do as much as she does. Like that's Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, truly go look into it for yourself, but she really did love her job. Yeah. So I don't know. It's really, really cool. What's what's her name again? Robina Asi. I don't know if I'm saying that right. So I really apologize if I am not. Um, but it's R-O-B-I-N-A and then last name Asti, A-S-T-I. Awesome. Yeah. So that's all I got. Sweet. Short. Did we do it? Oh, we did it. Frankie came to join. Oh. Hi, Frankie. Hey, Rachel. Hey, what? Love you like a sour sister. Lilas. Lilas.
watching, y'all. Please subscribe and don't be afraid to start some sourdough. You guys can do it. You really can. You really can. You really, you really can. Anything we mention in this podcast will be included in a reference list that will be posted on our Instagram. So follow us at L-Y-L-A Sour Sister for recipes, pictures, and more fun. Also, Twitter. Thank you.